I love our Wednesday nights. We've been going through the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells the story of the beginning of the church. The very beginning. Now, a lot has happened in the 10, 11 chapters we've read so far. Uh, The church has not just begun, but it's begun with a bang. As you'll recall, uh, they started to make some waves. They started to make some people a little upset. A man named Stephen started preaching the gospel and was killed for it. And a man named Saul of Tarsus, who later would become known as Paul, happened to be at the stoning of Stephen, happened to be at his execution. And he was in hearty agreement. He heard the whole sermon that Stephen gave. And from the moment that Stephen preached it, Saul couldn't get off his heart and off his mind what Stephen had said. He was so bothered by it that he began to persecute the church, began to throw Christians in prison, began to put some of them even to death. So because of that, the church that was just in Jerusalem up until that point spread because they were scattered. But what the enemy meant for evil turned out to not be as evil as he planned it because God turned it for good. And the church that was scattered didn't just go scattered, hiding everywhere. They went scattered, preaching the gospel wherever they went. And if you've been with us, you've known that uh, as Peter had a vision from God, that just that food he wasn't allowed to eat. He saw, you know, he was a good Jew. There was a lot of food that wasn't kosher. And God showed him a vision of all these animals lowered from the ceiling in, uh, on a big sheet. And it lowered from the ceiling. And as he saw it, it was all stuff he wasn't allowed to eat, not even touch because it was unclean. And the Lord said to him, kill this food and eat it. And Peter said to him, Lord, I've never touched anything unclean. I've been a good boy all my life. I've never touched anything unclean. I've never eaten it. And the Lord says, don't ever call unclean what I've cleansed. Don't call unholy what I've made holy. Three times God does this. And he tells him after, there are three men at your door. They're not who you'd consider clean. They're, they're Gentiles. They're not Jewish See, for a good Jew, you couldn't even go into these people's houses. You couldn't eat with them. That must sounds extreme now, doesn't it? They couldn't, couldn't go to, Peter wouldn't have been allowed to go to these people's houses. He wouldn't be able to eat with them. They couldn't go into the synagogue. And the Lord said, don't you ever call those people unclean again, because I've cleansed them. Peter sends them to this Italian boy's house. As he shows up at this Italian soldier's house, Cornelius has had a vision from God as well. He's had a visit from an angel. And the Lord puts Peter in that position to preach the gospel. And as you know, these people not only receive the gospel, but they get filled with the Spirit before Peter's even done with the message. Peter and his friends rejoice that these people have been saved, that that God has accepted them. But when Peter comes back home, He's questioned. And people say, you know, there's a rumor going around that you went in to a Gentile's house. You ate their food. Now it's an Italian guy's house, so you know it's good food, right? You ate with them. You went to their house. Look, we've got a reputation to keep up. We're a new, we're a new group. We're just forming. You don't sully our reputation by eating with Gentiles. And Peter tells the story of how that God appeared to him. And how the scripture had foretold this for a long time. So recognize this. It wasn't just Peter's experience. That's very important. 
Because, you know, there's the word of God and there's experience. And as, as important as experience is, experience can never trump the word of God. So Peter doesn't just say, this is what I've experienced. He goes and shows them in the word of God. This is what God said was going to happen. And I experienced it. And when you put them together, you guys can't deny something happened. And the Bible says, and this is a wonderful phrase. We talked about it last week. Uh, was it the week before last? Last time we were together on a Wednesday night. We talked about this, how he says to them, you know, this is what happened to me. This is what God did. And it says that the group that were questioning him, that took issue with him, it says all of a sudden they quieted down and they began to glorify God. Oh, I love that phrase. They quieted down. In other words, they stopped arguing about it. And they said, whoa, this is God. And, and, and you know, I want to I want to just relieve you of of a misconception. If you think that you can glorify God silently, you can't find it in scripture. I'm not talking about glorifying God with your life. I'm talking about when the scripture says they glorified God. Now, you can glorify God with your lifestyle. You can glorify God, you know, in the, in the way you're, you're walking and, and, you know, the way, the way you think. Glorify God with your thoughts. But when it uses this phrase, together they glorified God. It's always talking about they begin to praise God with their mouths. They begin to say, well, praise God. Lord, you've done great things. So it's interesting that it says they quieted down and began to glorify God. What did it mean? It says they stopped their silly little argument and recognized God did something. It's one thing for you to recognize you're wrong and just shut up. It takes a big person to do that. And just say, well, I guess I'm wrong. And you back away shyly. You don't want to see that person for a while. It's another thing to realize you're wrong and do a complete 180 and begin to glorify God. Say, not only was I wrong about that, but I've seen the light and I'm excited about it. And I'm not just going to stop arguing. I'm going to get on your side and start praising God for it. You know, there's a wonderful value to being in this for a while. There's value for those of you that have been saved and sanctified and under the word for years. But I think you've noticed, as long as you've been under it, that still there are things that surprise you. Still there are things that God stretches you with and causes you to grow. And just when you think you figured it all out, you haven't. In fact, the more you grow in God, the more you grow in the knowledge of him, the more you realize you don't know. I've thought of it this way many times. I've thought of my spiritual life as a house. And every now and then, I think I finally mapped out the house. It's all organized. It's all clean. And then the Lord comes in and he looks at my house. He says, nice, nice work I've done here. And then he takes me over and he shows me another door that I didn't know was there. And there's always that moment that you say, please don't open that door. I'm happy knowing everything. I'm happy having it figured out. When anybody asks me a question about the Bible, I have the answer. Then he opens the door and you realize you don't have all the answers. There's a whole other half of the house you haven't even figured out yet. The more you know about the Lord, the more you know you don't know. And you lean on him. And so there are times in our walk where we have to admit, I might have missed that. I might have been wrong. It takes a big person, not not just to stop arguing, 
but to turn around and say, well, praise God, I'm excited about it. You know, it was the religious people that gave Jesus the most trouble. That's a shame, but it's the truth. Do you know, every time he did a miracle, they're trying to insert themselves into the miracle. You know, he heals a paralyzed guy that had to get lowered in through the roof. And he says, your sins are forgiven you. Take up your bed and walk. The man is healed. He takes up his bed. He starts walking. And what they're offended by is the fact that he's carrying a bed on the Sabbath, that he's working on the Sabbath. I really don't think he minded. (laughs) He's never been able to walk. He's been paralyzed. His friends had to carry him in on a stretcher, and they're offended. They're They're not paying attention to the miracle. They inserted themselves. Here's God is meeting with this man. He forgave his sins. Big thing. He healed his body. God and this man are having a good time. Religious folks squeeze in and try to squeeze in between God and this man and say, you can't do this. And they do it in the name of God. I don't want to shock you, but there have been plenty of moments where I've almost done the same thing. There's been some moments where I have, and I had to step back and go, whoa, hang on. In my need to be right, I didn't step back and say, God's doing something here, and I should maybe take a breather before I say anything about it. We have such pressure on us, such pressure on us to have a response to everything. You know, there's such pressure. We live in a, in, a, in a culture where if somebody writes an article, there's a, online there's this nice box that you can just put your opinion right away. Now, maybe this guy has researched this for five years, but in the 30 seconds you've had to think about it, you've got a better opinion. <laughs> and if you really have a strong opinion, you'll type it in all capital letters. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. The scripture says, don't let many of you desire to be teachers because you'll fall under a stricter judgment. Maybe today he might say, don't let everybody think you need to be a blogger. Don't let everybody think you need to have an opinion about everything. Sometimes you need to take a step back and say, well, let me see. Perhaps God is doing something that I'm not quick to recognize. Doesn't mean that every new thing that comes along, you just jump on. Right? Because the Bible is also full of examples of, you know, like the Apostle Paul saying, you foolish Galatians, who tricked you? So there are times where you got to stand up for something and you got to say, no, 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 we're not doing that. You know, the Nicolaitans that it talks about in the book of Revelation, we find out that these guys, there was a guy named Nicholas who started to preach that you can mix idolatry, you can mix their old religion with, the, with Christianity, you can mix their old religion with, with this following Jesus, that these things could play nice together. And, and G- Jesus says directly to the church, I'm glad you didn't tolerate that. I'm glad you, you didn't even stand for that, you didn't let it fly. I'm glad you stood against that. So there's times, not every new thing do you just have to embrace. But at the same time, sometimes we got to say, just because it's different, just because it's something I haven't experienced, maybe I need to see, is God in it? Because if he is, I need to shut up for a minute and glorify God. Like I said last time, I don't think shut up and glorify God is a t-shirt many of you would wear. So we halted the printing. (laughs) Let's go to Acts 11. 
I, 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 please forgive me. I, I realize that some of you are parents, and, and to you, the SU phrase is not a, it's a shut up is not a good phrase that you allow in your house. Please forgive me if that was crude to you. Maybe let's say be quiet and glorify God. It's not as fun to say, but okay. <laughs> I, want to have, I want my speech to be seasoned with grace. So if any of you say, I don't let my kids talk like that, please forgive me. All right, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So when those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, they were speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Like we mentioned before, you can kind of understand that. First of all, most of these people are Jews that, that have received Jesus as the Messiah. Secondly, they know how to talk to other Jews. Right? We've been raised in this. I get it. I can explain this to them. When I start talking about the law and the prophets, they'll understand. When I say Jesus is the Messiah, that makes sense to them. You try going up to a Roman or a Greek and going, Jesus is the Messiah, and they'll say, Jesus is the what? He's the Messiah, the one promised. When? Like it won't, there's no connection there. And so you can understand how they found people like them and started telling them about Jesus. But how many of you know that wasn't God's complete plan? Thank God they were preaching the word. But Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said that every tribe, every nation, every tongue. So here's what it says. It says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch. Antioch was one of the major cities in Syria at the time. So let me, can we draw a map in the air? Jerusalem is here, all right? Everybody can remember this? Yeah. Jerusalem is here. If I ask you to find Jerusalem at the end of the service, you'll point here, right? You'll know where we are. <laughs> Jerusalem's here. We're all along. The, there's the coast here, the Mediterranean here. So Jerusalem is here. If you go up, you've got Antioch. You've got Syria up north here. And then over here, you've got some islands and things like that. Cyprus and Cyrene is a little bit off to here. And so these guys spread out from Jerusalem, and they headed People headed to their islands, and then they headed up to Syria. And they began to preach to people in Antioch. Now, you know in Syria, they've got Jewish people, but they've got a lot of non-Jewish people. Can I ask a very simple question? What kind of people do you figure live in Syria? <laughs> Syrians, you guys are so smart. That's exactly right. Did you, did you know Canada is full of Canadians? Yes. Right, okay. <laughs> now, there's Jews living in Syria, but there's also a lot of Greeks. There's a lot of, um, uh, you know, people from, from the east, even people from Parthia and, and Media, places like that. So the Syrian empire kind of branches, and this place, especially Antioch, it's, it's heavily occupied by people that had settled there after Alexander the Great conquered most of the known world at the time. One of his emperors um, started what we call the Seleucid Empire. And uh, so this kind of Syrian empire is, is up here. And uh, it's very heavily influenced by Greek culture. Now there's Greek culture, there's Jewish culture, there's pagan culture of all sorts. But here you have a great mix of people. And these guys from Cyprus and Serene, they do something that their, their friends and their brothers and sisters aren't doing. These men and women start preaching to people that are different than them. 
They start preaching to non-Jewish people. They start preaching to Greeks. They start preaching to people that... Now, when, often when the New Testament in this context uses Greek, it's not just talking about Greeks. It's talking about non-Jews, okay? So they're talking to non-Jewish people, which to a lot of people was a no-no. You don't talk to non-Jews. We, we, we talk to our own. These guys started talking to everybody. How many of you think that's a good idea? Right. It's a good idea, isn't it? I'm suspicious of some of you not raising your hand. I'm curious. <laughs> Just kidding. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. Thank God. It's important what you preach, isn't it? It is. They were preaching the Lord Jesus, and it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. When the hand of the Lord is with somebody, what they set their hand to prospers. When the hand of the Lord is with somebody, it's, you can tell it's not just you doing something. God is with you. The hand of the Lord was with them, and it says, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. This phrase might sound confusing, but it's very key and very vital. Not everyone who believes the message will turn to Jesus. That's shocking. There are some people who say, yeah, I think you're right. I don't want to do that. Anybody, anybody encounter somebody like that? Yeah, I believe what you're saying. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to live that. I don't want to turn my life over to Jesus. So it says, but here, this was good. A large number of the people that believed their message turned. Now, the Bible talks in one place about how they turned from idols to serve the living God. To turn to God, you always got to turn from something. That's usually the awkward part. If we were just turning to Jesus, that's easy. But turning to something implies that you're turning away from something. They had to turn away from their old ways and they turned to Jesus. A large number of them who believed turned. That can't be easy in a culture where you're defined by your religion, in a culture where you're defined by believing the same thing. For you to turn and believe in this new foreign thing, that was a big deal. The hand of the Lord was with them. Now, what are some of the things we see in the Bible when the hand of the Lord is with somebody? You see miracles. You saw evil spirits cast out. You saw, you saw God's presence, God's spirit changing hearts and turning. This all was happening, and I'm sure it was a wonderful thing. In verse 22, it says, The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Barnabas, his name actually wasn't Barnabas. He became known as Barnabas. He, his nickname was Barnabas. One of his nickname, nicknames was Son of Encouragement. Barnabas literally means Son of the Dove, but he's also known as Son of Encouragement. This is a really cool thing because he didn't get that nickname because they were hoping he turned into it. He got that nickname because he was the kind of guy that was super encouraging to anybody that needed it. Remember, this is the guy this is the guy that really embraced Paul when other people were afraid of Paul, when, when he was Saul. When everybody thought he might still be a terrorist, when everybody thought he might still be a spy, Barnabas took him in. Barnabas accepted him. Barnabas is the one, even when Paul got tired of John Mark, said, this kid can't hack it in the real world. Barnabas stuck with him. And you find near the end of the Bible, Paul writes and says, bring Mark with you, bring John Mark with you. He's a big blessing to me. And it's because guys like this, Barnabas stuck with him. So Barnabas is sent by the apostles. Barnabas is not one of the 12, but he's sent by the apostles to see this new church that started in Antioch. 
Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced. And he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. I want you to see something. Scripture goes out of, the the writer goes out of his way to say Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. How do we see that? What's the evidence of that? That Barnabas goes and he sees a church that looks different than any church he's ever seen. Looks completely different than the church he just came from. They're different type of people. They probably worship in a little bit of different way. The foundations are still there. The structure's still there. They still believe the same thing, but they're different. There's a different culture. There's a different way. They've gone out and and filled the church with mostly non-Jewish people. And where Barnabas, Barnabas was sent, not just because they said, oh, hey, Barnabas, things are going great. Just just go and and just encourage them. They sent Barnabas because they were thinking, this is my my imagination. This is my thought. I think they were sending him to correct if he needed to correct, to help this little church out, and maybe to, maybe to you know, shut him down on some things, maybe to encourage him on some other things. They, they sent Barnabas to put some things in order if it needed it. But when Barnabas got there, it says he witnessed the grace of God. He saw God's hand on the movement. And even though it was completely different than everything he's ever seen, he embraced it because he was a good man. But here's even bigger, because he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. People that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith are not threatened when something is different than what you've been brought up with. You're not threatened with something that's a little bit different than your experience. You're able to recognize God moving. You say, the grace of God is on this. I'm not threatened by this. I'm excited by this. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's different churches all over the place. There's some that do some things this way. There's some that do the things that way. And there's a lot of times when some, a new movement comes up and a new way of doing things comes out, the, the, instant, the instant pressure is on you either to attack it or to jump on the bandwagon. You know, people are saying, why don't we do it like they do it? Look, they're doing so well. And sometimes people get nervous because they feel attacked and they get defensive and they, they find a reason to, to take issue with it. Or they say, well, it's working for them. Let's just do it. Both of those can be very wrong. First of all, God doesn't have to do the same thing the same way in every place. What worked in Jerusalem might not work in Antioch. What worked in Antioch might not work in Ephesus. The important thing was, is the Lord Jesus being preached? Yes, he is. Is God's hand on it? Yes. Is the grace of God on it? Yes, it is. Obviously, God's doing something. So we get defensive and we say, well, no, let's find something wrong with it. Instead, maybe we should just step back and go, hey, is God in it? If he's in it, let's get excited. Hey, maybe somebody will say, well, we need to do what they're doing. Maybe you don't. You need to be obedient to the Lord. Be secure in who you are and say, you know what? I know what we're called to do. And if the Lord tells us to change and learn something from them, we will. Praise God. But just because someone's doing it different doesn't mean you have to do it that way. It doesn't mean you have to be threatened by it. 
a good man, a good woman, full of faith and full of the Spirit will recognize the hand of God. And when you see the hand of God, even if you don't fully understand it, you go, praise God, I'm excited for you. When there's a church that's doing well and everybody's talking about it and there's, there's a lot of buzz, you know, you might feel threatened and go, oh man, you know, I, I, wish, I wish people were talking about us and I wish that was going on. If God's doing something, just rejoice. Just get pumped. The Lord's doing something, and we need, uh, I mean, <laughs> a friend of mine pastors in this city, and uh, he pastors another church, and we were talking about, he said, you know, I added up all the chairs in all the churches in the whole city. He said, and there aren't enough chairs for all the people in the city, not even close. So you know what? We don't need to be threatened by anybody. We're all on the same team. If we're preaching the Lord Jesus, proclaiming him in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's more than enough people. And we need more people on board. So instead of division, we need to bring unity. Barnabas is such a good man. He's so full of faith. Why does faith play a hand in it? Because he trusted God. He trusted God rather than than trusting people. When you're able to trust God, you can say, look, I don't fully get this. But if God's in it, God can make it work. I don't fully get it. But if God's in it, I'm with it. I don't fully understand it, but I see the grace of God. And if the grace of God is there, I'm on board. Now, this is tough. The, the more you grow and the, and the more mature you get, and the, the more people start looking up to you, the harder it is sometimes for you to pivot and change directions. The harder it is for you to admit you don't have all the answers. I know. But if we trust God and we're full of faith, we can say, you know what? God brought us this far. And if he's doing something there, I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Full of the Spirit. Why is full of the Spirit important? Because he did not recognize the grace of God just by numbers. Numbers don't necessarily mean anything. Lots of people going to a Justin Bieber concert doesn't mean there's anointing. Like my parents used to always say, people cry at Disney movies. Doesn't mean the presence of God is there. You can't tell these things just by looking at it with your outward, just, just your eyes. He's full of the Spirit. And when you're full of the Spirit, you recognize that's God. That's the Lord. I recognize this. I don't get it, but something's calling out to me. It's the coolest thing, guys, going to church in other countries. Have you ever been to church in another country and sang songs that you didn't understand? And you just go, this is the, my favorite song now. <laughs> And you sing it back to them, and they look at you like, what in the world are you singing? You sing it, it sounds ridiculous. You think you're singing perfectly in their language, and it's terrible. But you have such a good time. You instantly connect. It's amazing how, how long it takes you at work sometimes to connect with your coworkers, and how quickly you connect with the family of God, somewhere that's a totally different culture. You just connect. You go, this is my family. I just love you guys. I already love you. I already know you. I remember going, I mean, every time we've gone to church in Hawaii, some big Hawaiian lady comes up and hugs me because that's their culture. They just, you know, they're, they're huggers, right? Put flowers on your neck. And of course, us Canadians, we run so hot that the flowers instantly wilt, you know, and then you, but thank God it makes you smell nice for a little bit. But it's amazing that when, you know, and I'm talking, when I'm talking about a big Hawaiian lady, I'm talking she's older, okay? So don't get the wrong idea. 
It's like a grandma coming up and hugging you, okay? So don't think that, you know, just, okay. Anyways, so... You know, nice old Hawaiian grandma comes up and hugs you. Now, some people are just hands off. They don't want it. But it's funny. You feel like you got a family already. Been over to the Philippines. You feel like you got family, you know. And I know some of you going to church on different islands. And, uh, you know, I always encourage our folks, maybe if, if you've been here for a while, when you go on vacation, if you're there on a Sunday. Now, there's no rule that says every Sunday of your life you have to be in church. You know what? You can... That's, there's no rule about that. But I'd encourage you, if you're somewhere, find a church. Because you'll begin to see it from a different perspective. God can use that experience to just refresh you in a different way. So I often, we like Tia and I and now Moses, when we're somewhere and if we're away on a Sunday, we will find a church. Not because we feel like we're in trouble if we don't, but because we love the family of God. And it's cool to see the family of God in different uh, cultures and in different environments. Barnabas recognizes this and he embraces it. He encourages them to stay true to the Lord with a resolute heart. What does that mean? When he saw what God did, he became resolute that he was going to do everything he could to make sure this move of God stayed on the right path and grew and blossomed. It says, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. We'll stop there for now. But it's wonderful. He, he's so excited about what God is doing. He goes and finds his buddy Saul, and he brings him. This is for two purposes. Number one, Saul's got a gift, and Barnabas recognizes it. I want you to know, people with that uh, that real gift for encouragement. Now, do you know there's, there's nowhere in the scripture that says that somebody has a gift of encouragement and everybody else doesn't? Sometimes we pawn that off. Well, this, this lady has got a gift of encouragement, so I don't need to encourage people. She'll do it. We all need to encourage people. But there are some people who are just a little bit better than us, you know? <laughs> Barnabas is one of those guys. Now, listen, when someone's doing something so obviously good, everybody mentions it. Everybody pats him on the back. For somebody to get the nickname Son of Encouragement, I believe that he had to be the kind of guy that saw what other people didn't see. In other words, he was able to look a little bit deeper and see past people's flaws. Now, I don't think this is a special gift. I just think he was willing to do it. He's the kind of guy that says, they're not perfect. But I see where they're going. I see what God's doing in them. And he's the guy that grabs them and helps them get to where they need to be. He's the one that says, listen, I see God's doing something in you. That is wonderful. Let, let's, let's, let's talk about this. And he, he would help them out. This is what he did for Saul. So he goes and he gets Saul. Saul who still doesn't fit into the church yet. And he says, come with me to Antioch. God's doing something great. Saul's got a gift that Barnabas already recognizes. He's got a gift to teach. He's got a gift to preach. So this is going to bless the church in Antioch, but it's also going to bless Saul. You notice that after this, Saul stops being called Saul, and he starts being called Paul. This experience changed him. Thank God for men like Barnabas, who see something totally different, but see the hand of God on it and are able to embrace it. Not just embrace it, but jump in. Not just jump in, but bring others into it. Can we be open enough 
to embrace when God's doing something we didn't quite expect or maybe haven't done before or haven't quite understood, and yet mature enough to be able to discern what's of God and what isn't. Maybe discern what's of God, what God's doing in this place might be different from what God's doing in our place. But recognize if God's doing it, we're going to celebrate it. This is the attitude of every believer. When you know who you are in Christ, you're not threatened by someone else's success. We are the body of Christ. When you know who you are, people doing well around you does not threaten you. It excites you. I'm excited for you. I'm excited God's doing something in your life. I'm going to rejoice with you. We are not ever, ever, ever in competition. We're never in competition. Because why? Because God is too big for that. The kingdom's too big for that. The kingdom is way too big for us to be fighting over a little piece. We're not pulling up to the table. It's got a little loaf of bread, and we all got to fight for our peace. The Lord is without limits. There is no limit. He's got more than enough for everybody. And so we just celebrate each other's successes. We see the grace of God. We embrace it. We rejoice. And, hey, we jump in. You don't blindly follow every new thing that seems to be doing well. Because there's movements that come and go. There's fads that come and go. Some are of God and some aren't. You need to be full of faith and the Holy Spirit to recognize it, see the hand of God, and say, if God's in it, there's going to be this fruit. If this fruit is there, my spirit identifies with that. Let's jump in. It'll, the Word will always back it up. You can always look back in the Word and see, hey, there it is. Your spirit will witness to it. The fruit will bear it out. And if that's there, you jump in. You celebrate it. Doesn't mean you need to hop to every new movement. You know what I mean? They sent Barnabas. Barnabas came and got Saul. Not everybody, not everybody from Jerusalem said, okay, I guess we're going to Antioch now. And they all transfer over. There are people that jump from movement to movement. God plants you somewhere, be rooted until he tells you to go. He may never tell you to go. Stay until he tells you differently. Just because God's doing something over here. If you see that, celebrate and say, Lord, refresh us. We want some of that. We want some of that. We want that here. I've noticed the different, one of the differences, and we'll close in a minute, but one of the differences between mature and immature believers is this. An immature believer will look for what they need in a group, in a movement, in a church. They'll look for what they need and they'll see if they can find it there. If, that, if, the, if the place that they're going doesn't have it, they'll go somewhere that does. A mature believer looks for places. They realize, I have something to give. And they, they see a place that doesn't have that, and they realize, that's why God called me there. Amen. I'm called to give this, to bring this. See, when you're immature, you go, they really don't have this. It's not going on here. And, it's a, and you go and you, you, now God will move you. Sometimes God moves you and says, you need to be here and you need to be there. I recognize that. But it needs to be the voice of God. So sometimes you say, boy, I wish we had more of this there. Maybe that's why you're there. Maybe that's why you're there. You need to be the person that's bringing it. That's your part. You know, often the gifting that God gave us, that's the thing we're most acutely aware of. So usually that's the thing we recognize that is lacking in different places because that's our thing. And you talk to somebody, you go, don't you recognize? Where is this and where is this? And other people go, yeah, it's no big deal. But to you, it's a big deal. Why? Because that's your gifting. That's why it matters so much to you. But if it's your gifting, you don't need to go to a place that's got a lot of that gifting because you're just, you're just superfluous. 
If it's your gifting, maybe God's going to put you somewhere that doesn't have that. You're the one that's bringing it. And praise God, if it's of God, we'll all embrace it. Amen? I love you guys, and we're so thankful that God's doing something in Lloydminster. I want to be a church like this church in Antioch that says, hey, we're going to step outside of what we're comfortable with, and we're going to talk to people we're not comfortable talking to. If you're just talking about Jesus to people that think like you and dress like you and like the same things as you, you're missing out on something. The hand of God is always with those that will step out of what's comfortable and step into where he's leading you. There are probably groups right now that you consider untouchable. There are probably groups of people right now that you don't feel you would know how to talk to if you got in a conversation. Can you trust God? Can you trust the Holy Spirit that he loves them more than you can love them? That if the Holy Spirit loves them, God loves them, he'll give you the words to say at the right time. There's groups of people you go, I I don't know. I can't really relate to those people. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know what? Let God stretch you. Let God bring you to people that you never expected to be brought to. Let God put love in your heart for for groups of people that you didn't think you could love. Can you believe that? People you got nothing in common with. God knows them. There are people that you don't get, and you just go, I just don't get those people. I just don't get them. But the Lord gets them. Before the foundation of the world, he knew them. While they were still in their mother's womb, he formed them. He's known every hair on their head. He's known every tear that they've ever cried. He knows them intimately. You might not be able to relate with them, but he can. If you'd be able to say, God, use me. And I'll tell you, love is a universal language, isn't it? You might not get how to talk to somebody. You know, you're you're blessed farm girl talking to skateboarder guy. You have no idea how to talk to this guy. I'll tell you, you love somebody with the love of God. That translates. The world doesn't need you to be exactly like them. They want you to be different. Be like Jesus. Amen? Stand up with me. Praise the Lord. Lord, you're so good. We thank you for that you placed us here for a reason, for a purpose. God, I ask you, I'm asking you right now to just <laughs> every little bit of pride that might be left, that pride that stands against you, that pride that wants to be secure in our own strength and our own knowledge. Lord, I'm asking you to replace that with your spirit, with your love, that we would recognize the hand of God, we would embrace it, even when it's different, even when it's something we're not expecting. Lord, can we... Enable us to be discerning believers that don't just jump on every new bandwagon, on every wind and wave of doctrine, but are rooted and grounded in you in such a way that when something new comes along, we don't jump on it because it's popular. We don't jump on it because, well, everybody else is. But we're able to recognize when the hand of God is on something and rejoice with those who rejoice, even mourn with those who mourn, that we would embrace your move in Jesus' name. Amen. God is with you. We love you.